0: On this episode of China Unscripted, there's a new front line in the war between China and the U.S., and the U.S. is badly losing. China is one step closer to conquering the Pacific. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganeshda. And joining us once again is Cleo Paschal, Senior Fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Cleo, thanks for joining us again. It's always great to have you on the podcast
1: yeah it, it's a pleasure and uh, i noticed you, you didn't use my last name this time during the introduction so we can smoothly go right into the uh, the whole discussion without any hiccups whatsoever
0: i have no idea what you're talking about anyway the solomon islands the pacific ocean and the pacific island nations yeah every time we have you on it seems like things get worse afterwards
2: wait are you saying it's, <laughs> it's our fault or it's cleo's fault
0: i'm just noticing a correlation correlation does not equal causation but,
2: but it, i am but noticing it, a it,
0: strong correlation
2: do you think things would have been better if we didn't talk about them
0: i, Th- I had no way guess that's one how
3: i solve other. the problems in my life i just i just don't talk about them and the problems magically we have go a away. track
0: record proven track record right there all right so thanks for joining us cleo uh everything's going to stay the same. And
2: Everything's so, great
0: in the Pacific,
2: great. right?
1: Yeah, you're on to me. I've been actually, you know, running these CCP operations, so I have an excuse to to come on and hang out with you. And I I was hoping to be up in the Quebec bunker, but clearly that that's not the case at the moment. So um, I'll take what I can. And uh, now that I'm on, I can uh, stop those influence operations that are destroying the countries and uh, and just luxuriate in uh, in the China unscripted presence.
0: Well, I mean, things things certainly have gotten <laughs> <laughs> quite bad. In the, I'm trying to hold the podcast here. Be quiet. <laughs> things aren't good in the Solomon Islands. Tell us more.
1: Okay, now that that is correct. Uh, so, going back, uh, you so you've covered this story very well and comprehensively and thank you because it's it's important it's not just the solomons this is solomons is tragically for the people of solomons become the case study of how china can uh weaken and almost destroy a country in the process of taking it over and they did it really fast so understanding what happened in solomons shows you a lot about how china operates not just in the region, but also even in the U.S. I mean, they're direct parallels for uh, a lot of the operations that they were running there. So what happened? The reason it's such a clear case study is because until about 2019, until September 2019, exactly, Solomon's recognized Taiwan. And then there was an election uh, just earlier that year. A new person came in, Prime Minister So Bavari and he unilaterally switched from Taiwan to China. So, we have a starting point for the major overt Chinese influence operations that September 2019. And uh, after that, um, what showed how they operate was the groupings within the country that didn't want that closer relationship with China um, and how they were attacked. So, the classic case, within that case study, is the case of the premier of Malaita province, which is the most populous province in Solomons, a man called Daniel Suidani, who, who you interviewed. He and his leadership, it isn't just him, he was representing the will of his people, he was a very popular uh, elected leader, and the traditional chiefs, in in about a few months later, in October 2019, put out the AUKI communique, A-U-K-I, that communique Uh, named after the province capital uh, Aoki, says what they want for their province in terms of development, uh, who they thank in terms of their development partners. And, you know, it's U.S., Australia, Israel, like all these, everybody. But they say specifically they do not want any more business coming into the province that is linked to the Chinese Communist Party. And they give a bunch of different reasons, including... um, They believe in freedom of religion, and the Chinese Communist Party is systemically atheist. And so that goes against their their core beliefs. They know how uh, people of faith are prosecuted and persecuted in China, and they don't want to deal with a country like that. They also don't want their province turned into a police state. All all of these things are listed. It's a very interesting document uh, for understanding how people around the world know what the CCP is and know what happens to their communities and their country when the CCP comes in. But what happened, of course, was when they put that out, Daniel Sudani, the premier of that province, became public enemy number one for Chinese, but also for their proxy prime minister, Sogavari, who came in. He got, so then when Sudani got sick, um, the central government, wouldn't provide funding for him to get medical care. He needed a, he needed an MRI outside the country. Uh, neither were the Australians. Neither did the Americans. Nobody would help him. They, they literally wanted him to die. He was an inconvenient person because he was standing up to China and being very clear about why. Luckily, uh, what happened was an Indian um, influential Indian man had heard about it, got in touch with President Tsai's office in Taiwan, and they got him to Taiwan for the medical care. And then he came back. Well, by the time he came back, Sogavari and that Chinese clique had poured a ton of money into his province to try to uh, get the the assembly, provincial assembly, to vote him out in a vote of no confidence to get rid of him. That didn't work. The people of Malaita province, protested and physically blocked the entrance to parliament and the police in Malaita said calm down okay we get it we don't want violence here um, and they went and they talked to the guys who've been bought off by China and I'm perfectly comfortable saying you're bought off by China because we've seen bank records of money going to all of these people like they're on Twitter public them. we know who they are we know some of the amounts, the amounts that were done through bank transactions. Uh, we know the bank account numbers. None of this has been followed up on by anybody, but, but it's all publicly available now. Um, and so they, they withdrew because they saw this as a real problem. Now, since, since then, what happened was um, there's been a lot of police training, a lot more weapons coming in, including from Australia. The Chinese sent in water cannons. And so now, after kind of a little bit over a year, the pro-Chinese forces in Solomon are better armed, they've spread around a lot more money, they have much better influence operations, and just a few weeks ago, they had another vote of no confidence against Daniel Sudani, and he lost. So he's no longer the premier of Malaita province, and in fact, he's had to leave the country because he's, he and his team are very concerned that, you know, they'll try to get a trumped-up charge and throw him in jail.
0: How have the people of Malaita province responded to this?
1: So what happened, so Sudani is, uh, they knew this was coming. They've been warning for a while. And he, d- he didn't want to give those heavily armed pro-Sugavari police, paramilitary basically, an excuse to kill his people. So they did not even attend the vote in Parliament for the vote of no confidence. They didn't want their dem- their people to come out and demonstrate. They knew that the the position of the police had changed. For the last vote of no confidence, the police were were doing their job normally, but now they've been replaced. In fact, one of the main police kind of chiefs was replaced for this new phase. And uh, this new phase, these police are are. The concern is much more loyal to Sogavari and to the CCP agenda.
3: And those police actually were trained in China, some of them, right?
1: Some of them, yeah.
3: And armed by Australia.
1: And armed by Australia. And if I were the Chinese, that's exactly what I do. I try to make sure that the first demonstrators were shot with Australian bullets. You know, that's exactly how they play it. You know, there were riots in uh, Paniere in the capital, and uh, Sogavari got the Australian troops to come in as an excuse to then bring in the Chinese troops. Right. So Australia is either complicit or moronic, uh, but it's not uh, playing a, uh, a beneficial role at all. And you know, Sogavari, the, the getting rid of the getting rid of Suidani, of the you know, pro-democracy guy, that's sent a chill throughout the entire Pacific Island region. So there are four countries that still recognize Taiwan. And they all have influence operation in their countries that are very similar to this ongoing. So I'm getting calls from people in Marshalls, people in Palau, you know, saying, if nobody will protect Sudan, they're not going to protect me. They're not going to, you know, if we make this stand for, for democracy in Taiwan and all the things we believe in, but nobody is, is protecting even the most visible proponent of this in the region, then we're out on a limb. And it's not just our political lives that are at risk.
0: Well, hey, now, let me push back on that, because the U.S. government, after 30 years of not having an embassy on Solomon Islands, this month they opened one. So problem solved, right?
1: Problem solved. They're good people and they're trying hard, but I, I think there might be half a dozen of them. And, uh, you know, th- this is not, uh, this is really, really deep. I mean, uh, ten, tens of millions in cash are, are the amounts that I've heard of being spread around Solomon Solomons. I can't remember what it is, or six hundred, seven hundred thousand 700,000 people. Yeah. And what, and what, happened with the Alki communique remember which said no no more Chinese business investment um so what they did what the Chinese did very smart and again this is a way of, you know I, I highly recommend studying this case because it it shows you how they operate they said okay we can't run a in as Malaita but you know what we're going to fund a mini hospital and so they've they've said they're going to put in this hospital no but you can't say no to a hospital um and according to uh Peter Canalaria, who's uh, the son of the first Prime Minister of Solomon's, he's in Parliament, highly respected. He's saying that the that the bribe money is now is likely being run through that hospital. So they would normally use a local business, you know, logging or fisheries or whatever, to buy off the locals, but they couldn't do it because they alchie communicate. So they're using this hospital to be a cover for laundering the money into the region. The first public announcement of what that new Malaita government is going to do now that they got rid of Sudan is get rid of the Alki community.
3: Okay. So let's say I'm, uh, an official in Malaita province and you know, I could really go either way on the side of justice or on the side of Chinese money. Uh, how much from that Chinese slush fund could I get for switching sides?
1: It, de- it depends on what you can deliver it's highly transactional so they did they bought the they bought the parliament with half plus one votes so if you're if you're they had, think you had 17 votes so if you're one of those first 16 who were bought off beforehand you know you you'll get what you're going to get whatever your pet arranged. and buy, and as you know they buy you but then they've got stuff on you you know, if you've gone to China and you've done whatever, they might have the tape. They might have all sorts of other oh, the
3: honey traps and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you don't like honey, maple syrup traps. If you know whatever it's yeah.
0: Know. No, that that wouldn't work. Sorry, Cleo. That would be a sticky situation. Oh, that was much better.
3: <laughs> so wait, so so but you've seen the numbers, right? For some of these bribes, give give us a range of like how much these bribes can be.
1: They can be in the millions. If if it's the, if it's you know we're t- if it's kind of leadership level yeah otherwise but you know we've also seen really small amounts in uh, in the Marshall Islands um, where there was which recognizes Taiwan and there was an attempt to set up a special economic zone country within a country type thing um, there was an indictment against the two Chinese involved uh, in New York and so some of the it's a longer story but an interesting one
3: well we'll get back to that but but just in terms of the numbers.
1: Yeah, so some of those amounts are like seven thousand dollars, twenty-two thousand dollars. It can be quite, it can be quite small, um, but it can also be really big. And Solomon's is a very high-value acquisition for Beijing. It's an important location. Um, you know, it's the site of the Battle of Guadalcanal just over eighty years ago. Iron Bottom Sound, Tulagi, and the reason that you know, the, the Japanese uh, attacked there first was the British had set up there to allow you as the head of the British, uh, uh, kind of, uh, set up for running the region, very good geography, critical geography. So then the Japanese took it and then the Americans took it back. Um, you know, if you want to blow a hole in, in Western defenses, you've jumped the first and the second island chain and you're interdicting Australia.
3: So, so you're saying that, that, that the Solomon islands is a really important strategic place. To basically fight a war from to station your naval vessels and and air force that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, uh, it, yeah, offensive or defensive. So you know if you've got and and it's not if you look at where Wang Yi visited. If you look at this map and you've got the map of where Wang Yi visited uh, during uh, May and June of twenty twenty two, you can see he visited uh, the the range of countries that go off the coast of Australia and New Zealand. And if you're using the maritime militia and the fishing fleet, you know, you you get into a position and you're dropping buoys and you're doing all this other stuff. You're getting into a position where it makes it very hard for Australia or New Zealand to join the fight. You've got a gun to their head right off the coast. So, you know, it's, it's not just about attacking Australia or New Zealand in this case. It's about making Australia or New Zealand not willing to fight because the cost is going, going to be very high, even if they can break past that island chain.
0: If, for instance, there was a Chinese invasion of Taiwan.
1: Yeah, well, it, functionally, you're setting up, China is setting up its own island chain off the coast of Australia and New Zealand.
3: Uh, so I remember last year there was some talk about uh, a sort of relationship between China and the Solomon Islands. Uh, where they were going to maybe allow some Chinese ships to dock there. But uh, they promised, Sogavari promised that absolutely definitely the Chinese People's Liberation Army would absolutely never set up a naval base there. So, I mean, we should believe him, right?
1: Yeah, sure. This is a guy who uh, bought off 39 of his 50 members of parliament and that to change the constitution and then amended the constitution to postpone elections there's supposed to be elections in 2023 which he'll lose he's now postponed those elections to an indefinite date it's supposed to be next year but we'll see because he wants to host the pacific games instead
3: well but the, the pacific games will bring will bring glory to his leadership so isn't that more important
1: yeah and what it also does is it gives him an excuse to crack down on any protesters and demonstrators that might disrupt those games. Does this sound familiar to countries well, that host games like that?
0: Well, I mean, like you, you were saying, this is, this is a great case study. And it really does show how the Chinese Communist Party can very successfully essentially blow up a democracy from the inside. They get their guy in the top, spread some bribe money around, train some police... And suddenly, you have politicians who have a you know counter narrative. They get purged. Protesters become at risk. It's it's really it is stunning to see this happen, and and, the fact and over that, that the course the, of just four years. Yeah,
2: it's very fast. I yeah. was thinking when you were talking about the police thing that it reminded me a lot of Hong Kong, the difference between Hong Kong police in 2014 and 2019. But it took them years to kind of. Uh, replace and retrain the police force to be more brutal toward protesters and things like that. But yeah. you know, in this case, the last time there were protests, and were like twenty twenty one, right? So this is, or like, if you're talking about the vote of no confidence, then was that a year ago? So like in a year, they managed to completely do swap out the what they force. did to Hong Kong police in five years. Yeah.
1: yeah, they're 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 getting better at it, and it's a uh, you know, it, it's difficult to underestimate how important it is. And we focus, you know, on, on what the Chinese have done. But one of the reasons that they it's been so quick and so effective is there's been zero pushback. They're doing it in a in a vacuum.
0: So you're saying that embassy the U.S. built this month, it might be a little too little too late?
1: So the... Australians have been, uh, in a five-eyes context, the Australians have been taking the lead on this, and they have consistently said, and, and there are a lot of good Australians who are serious about it, uh, not to denigrate them, but the, the people that are, seem to be making the policy have consistently said, we've got this under control, don't worry about it, you know, you've got other things to do. Uh, the, so the problem has been, if anything, State Department um trusting an ally which is something that normally should work but in this case it, it really hasn't and and ha- how do you think you know uh Sudanese and his team feel when they hear about the Australians trying to go to you know trying to cut a new trade deal with China
0: or giving arms to these policemen
1: yeah, well, there's that too. But, you know, they they can kind of pretend to justify that somehow. But if at the same time you've got an Australian government that is clearly trying to, quote-unquote, patch things up with China, how much are they going to help the people who are standing up to China in the region?
0: Well, clearly not very much.
1: No, and, and they have, you know, and, and it's just... It, it, it's just... Currently, you know... the it's not, this isn't theoretical. One of the biggest problems uh, in the Pacific Islands is overfishing or illegal fishing, illegal, mm-hmm. unregulated imported fishing. And th- it's a main source of revenue for a lot of countries in the region. But what's been happening is it's very hard to patrol. The U.S. has tried to step up, especially through the Coast Guard. It has a uh, thing called the ship rider agreement where you can take somebody from a local country and they come on the ship and you can help patrol and interdict in the region. Um, but just to give you an idea how vast it is, just the North Pacific countries, the freely associated states, are about the size of the continental US. And there are approximately, including the Coast Guard and local vessels, maybe, maybe 10, 9 of 10 boats that can do it. Cutters. That's like that's like controlling the US with 10 police cars that go 15 miles an hour. So already there's a problem. But you have those those cutters that are in the in the in the southern part now. And Solomon Islands blocked the US cutter from coming in, US Coast Guard cutter from coming in and refueling in Solomon. And said, oh, you know, it's bureaucratic or whatever, but they have not redressed the situation. They haven't fixed the situation. And in January, Vanuatu also didn't return calls and a Coast Guard cutter could not come in and pick up the ship So at this very moment, there are two countries that are not actively working with the U.S. on what they say is their primary security concern around economic issues, which is illegal fisheries. And um, one can only think that the only country that benefits from that is China, because of the illegal fisheries that it does, and also uh, because it, it it takes those patrol vessels out so they can't monitor all of the other activity that Chinese are doing. So it's it's it has real on the ground uh, implications for ability to protect the economic security of the region and just to operate in the region it's it's already happening
0: and you were saying that essentially the purge of sudani has had a ripple effect throughout the region and and what what's going to happen now are countries in the region it doesn't seem like they're going to be siding up with like the us and australia because there's no help there what is the ramifications of this
1: well it's it's enormous i mean every country As we saw with Solomon's, it took the right slash wrong leader to get in, and it completely changed in one term, right, within. So every country in the region is one election away. And this is China's goal from essentially creating such a state of entropy within those countries that China gets its claws in and, and starts to dismantle the democracy from the inside. And some of them are, are are further along in the process, and some of them are extremely high value targets for for China, and in particular countries that recognize Taiwan, but also countries uh, that have this uh, unique relationship with the U.S. the freely associated state, so Palau, Marshall Islands, and Federated States of Micronesia, and they're all saying there's massive amounts of Chinese money coming in, trying to. Get their people in in the next election
2: it's interesting now because there's there's a story blowing up in canada right now right about chinese money going to influence canadian elections so even if people think oh well like these are some small pacific islands it, it's
0: close to home yeah yeah
1: it's uh, especially since you're in rural quebec right so you're, uh, you're at the epicenter of uh, of that sort of thing um yeah this is, if, if, they're gonna, if Beijing is gonna go after Taiwan, that tries to invade and hold Taiwan, then the security perimeter starts from Taiwan and goes out. And what's out in all of here is the, is the Pacific Island. And they know it. And they're being as vocal as they, they can. President Panuelo put up a, a, an incredible erudite analysis, of what the Chinese are doing in the region and and why it's a problem, um, you know the the National Security Coordinator put a, a, a two pager on where the Wanwang Five is operating in their waters. Uh, the, the Marshall Islands, as mentioned before, almost were almost the subject of creating a country within a country through bribery. Like it's not to, for them. This is this is daily stuff. I was in Palau uh, not that long ago and you know, people say that's where the Chinese brothel is. You know, that's, this person is on the this take, that person, is everybody knows and it's a, it's a daily thing. And you know, Palau is a country that recognizes Taiwan and it recently, last year, hosted the Our Oceans Conference, which is a big international gathering. And the U.S. put pressure on them to cover over the uh, signs on the buildings that had been built with Taiwanese aid to cover over the Taiwanese flags. And they said that uh, this is the U.S. putting pressure on Palau and said, can't invite President Tsai or else uh, Kerry won't come to your conference. So they're getting squeezed by the Chinese. They're getting heavily targeted by the Chinese. But there's, there's no help seemingly coming
0: why would the us do that
1: well i don't know i, I, I mean ask ask them and, and not only just ask them i mean this isn't getting covered so they can do it in darkness and they don't have to answer
3: i mean but why would anybody prefer john Kerry than president Tsai, who's awesome <laughs> fair
0: point
1: she, she is she is awesome and um and you know, it, it's uh, it's an indicator of uh, misaligned priorities or something. I
2: mean, let me wildly speculate that this has something to do with Kerry wanting to have climate change agreements with, you know, the Chinese well, Communist yeah, Party I mean, and not wanting was... to, like, show up at an event where there are Taiwanese flags everywhere, right? And then he thinks that there's going to be blowback from the chinese side and maybe like, they won't get these climate on, agreements. on the side. other
0: side like the, the biden administration has done a lot of things to stand up for taiwan there was a democracy summit uh, last year where they invited taiwan but then invite.
2: they didn't let the like they didn't let the person present something where they, they didn't want them to call taiwan a country like there was something That's with right. the powerpoint presentation, it, is, it, is, right? it is
0: pretty weird well the, yeah it's like there's on the one hand there's like this show of support uh, while there's yeah the other hand like it, holding it it's back it's
2: cowardice really yeah. like there's a lot of um what what would happen like angering china stuff right well i
0: mean at least on the bright side there is no chinese money floating around the u.s government <laughs> <laughs> N- nothing to worry about nothing to worry about
1: there's that but and, it, and it's also just wait i mean that's that's not how you deal with Beijing. you know it's just it's, it's bad policy you give your you first of all you stand up for your principles because that's how, you know, you and your allies can work together. And imagine if, if Tsai was there and people were working together and, and if the U S had backed Sudani you know, and all that sort of stuff, you know, it, it, China would be completely on the back foot and, and would be, you know, have to replan, but also its entire negotiating posture would be undermined. You know, so because you, you were talking about people in, in Solomons or wherever who are taking some Chinese money and how, how much it is. And in many cases it's not. It, it isn't that much. And if that if the message was if you take the Chinese money, um, you're never going to get a visa to Australia or New Zealand or the US, that changes the equation very quickly. All Australia would have to do is to do its job and to investigate disproportionate assets from Pacific Island leaders and others that are invested in their country. Sugavari's relatives, or at least one of them that we know of, launders Chinese money via Australia. There've been, there's been at least one good article about it. So, you know, we, we know it. So all they need to do is do the right thing and and stand up combined. And you would be in a better negotiating position These would be China.
0: Well, I'm just I'm just glad China's not trying to buy off politicians in Australia because could you imagine how bad that situation would be?
2: Uh, well, I mean it's a little harder to do that now than it was in 2018, probably, right? But um, Cleo, you mentioned like if the U.S. had backed Sudani, like what should the U.S. have done, or what should other countries have done in this situation? So the the, the Chinese
1: uh, Communist Party approach is uh, there's three strands to it. So it'll come in with a commercial face. It'll say, you know, we we just want to do business. It's just development. And that's always entwined with the strategic uh, element to it. You know, better positioning. You know, the, the the advancement of China's comprehensive national power. And the third strand is corruption. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's never clean. It, it never plays by the books. So if you pull on that third strand, which is the strand that, you know, the, the West has it has the economic and it has the strategic. And and sometimes it has the corruption as well. But the Chinese corruption is so embedded. It's such a deep part of it. If you pull on the corruption thread, the other two weaken very, very quickly. So you go after the illegal money. These guys have to hide their money somewhere. You go after it. You make it not pay. You don't do what the Australians do, which is Oh well if the Chinese give you guns, we'll give you guns. You don't compete on China's turf. China's corrupt, amoral, horrific turf. You compete on the on the turf that is the, the solid ground that we say is 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 what we have grown out of. Democracy, transparency, human rights, accountability, all that all that kind of stuff, which we think of as a cliche. But in a place like Solomon's is is a dream. You know, it's a it's an aspiration. It's Sui Dani was given the option of taking money from the federal government for his medical treatment if he let the Chinese companies operate in his province. And he said no. He he would rather die than take Chinese money. He believes in what the West says it believes in, much more so than the West. And those are the people who you want to work with and encourage and learn from and, and build off of. So don't don't look at don't kind of do what the Chinese do, which is look at the most kind of corrupt, immoral person there is and figure out how to twist them to use them to your advantage. Find the good people and give them the tools that they need to be able to fight for themselves and for their people, because they will fight stronger and harder than anybody else will.
0: Yeah, yeah wow yeah that's that really hits like you know the the, all the talk of like yeah supporting human rights freedom democracy it's that Chinese money but I mean I also think there's this hesitancy
2: on the side of like the U.S. or Australia too with oh well like are we interfering in
0: do you think it's like some kind of weird like colonialism fear Going around. I mean I don't, I don't the, the
2: CCP has weaponized that, right? Yeah. Like um accusing the US of imperialism everywhere. Just
3: Yes, it's definitely the US that's being the colonizers in this case.
1: So so I'd say there are two things. One is um, I, I I think that there's quite a bit of racism in the West's approach to the to the island in many different ways. But just to give you one example. When both Solomon's and Vanuatu said we're not going to let in the, co- we didn't let in the coast guard cutters because you know bureaucracy, you know there were that sort of played into this narrative of yeah. oh these you know incompetent islanders they just lost the pace- paperwork right, you know that's racist the, you know they're just as good as anybody else at paperwork <laughs> they can they can sort it out if they want they have a China you have a, they have a Chinese ships coming in and out all the time. They want to clear one u.s coast guard cutter that has a has had an appointment with them for a long time and you know they can do it they didn't pick up the phones they didn't want to do it but the the you know the those who are so inclined can pretend that uh this is just incompetence as opposed to a very deliberate decision that has strategic implications The other thing is about domestic interference. You don't have to do this stuff in the other country. You go after the Chinese money, Sogavari's clique's money that's being laundered in Australia and New Zealand. You do, you clean up your own system. And by cleaning up your own system, you give a lot less maneuvering room to those who are using you and your systems in order to facilitate their corruption.
0: Well, I mean, we've been painting a pretty bleak picture so far, but it, but it's, I don't think it's the case that the CCP is entirely getting its way in the Pacific. I mean, didn't Fiji recently uh, reject a Chinese policing deal?
1: So it, it did, but... Um,
0: the- no, Cleo, throw throw me a bone. I need some <laughs> some good news. I'll,
1: I'll, so the, the good news is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll explain why I'm not so optimistic on the Fiji police thing first and i'll give you the good news so um this is a this is a new prime minister who's come in and uh it was the old the old one who brought in the chinese police and i think he just was concerned about their loyalty to him you know so you don't you you want to clean brush the system especially if they're in your investigative policing units and make sure that your own people are loyal and also you do it, and the West pats you on the back and gives you uh, a little bit more maneuvering room for the other stuff you might want to do that they might not have uh, approved of. Otherwise, but he's a very good politician. That guy. Don't un- don't underestimate any of these specific leaders. They're they're a smart, skilled uh, bunch. Um, the good news is there are all these people who are trying. I mean, it, it, we know about the Sudanese story because Sudanese and his. They're not a party, his political grouping and the people of Malaita and the traditional leaders and the church groups and the media all stood up. You know, the the, the bad guys, so to speak, within Solomon's, it's a, it's a very small group. It's, again, it replicates the Chinese system where they think if you control a few people at the top and you've got enough fear in the society, you can control the society. But that doesn't mean that, The population wants it. And in this case, the population knows there's something different. There are still four countries in the Pacific that recognize Taiwan. There are brave leaders across the region who just need a little bit of help. So the good news is they are leading the way in understanding China and explaining China. And with a little bit of help, this this case study could not be over. This case study could change into how to fight Chinese political warfare and win.
0: Well, so then what should the U.S., Australia, what should what should be done to help support these people? And if the U.S. and Australian government isn't going to do that, what can the people of America and Australia do to push the politicians to actually do something?
1: So, as I mentioned, go after the money. Um, but also just interview them, talk to them, learn from them. Uh, Sudani is likely on his way to the United States. Um, hopefully, uh, there'll be an ability for him to be on a speaking tour, whatever. These guys know how China operates at a very round level. They know how they buy them, how they flow the money. They understand China's political warfare better than the vast majority of people sitting in the think tanks in D.C. Talk to them. Learn from them. They'll tell you what they need. They know how to fight this. So there's that. Um, the other thing is that broaden the group of, of allies. Japan, you know, has has a role to play. Uh, India, the uh, foreign, uh, foreign Affairs Draishankar uh, leader was in Fiji just recently. Um, and Prime Minister Modi is heading to Papua New Guinea sometime within the next few months. And India, we've talked about this before, India has the ability to displace a lot of what China does at the ground level economically, also in terms of telemedicine and the education, all that sort of stuff, in a way that actually can help build up a society from the bottom up, which isn't what you want. You want this kind of dispersed, ground-level, democratic uh, structure. India can be very helpful for that. So you know, even if you're just looking only at the Quad, you um, those other two quad members, Japan and India, also can be very helpful if having a role
2: to play. Do you think that there is, It's. A, it seems like Australia's had its head in the sand for years now regarding the Solomons and the Pacific. Do you think that there is any turnaround happening in the U.S.? Uh, and, uh, like, I know when the new Australian government came in, the Albanese government came in, They they talked a lot about wanting to, change how things are in the Pacific, but is there actually anything going on?
1: So on the on the U.S. side, there is. So the U.S. is none of these countries are monolith. Um, Mm. And I'd say uh, on defense, like Indo-Pakop, they they get it and they're trying hard. There is a predilection in state to still be quite reliant on Australia and New Zealand at the top level, so uh, Indo- Indo-Pacific National Security Council Indo-Pacific Coordinator Kirk Campbell will still repeatedly and publicly talk about how important the relationship with Australia is in the region. Like that. But people who are operating in the region uh, get get told by the people in the region always, we want to deal with the U.S. bilaterally and directly. And when that happens, better better things. But there are there are a whole series of issues. I, I'll talk talk to you a little bit about Palau because I was just in Palau. And Palau is the site of the announced over the horizon radar installation that the U.S. is putting in in, in the northern Pacific. I went to go see the, the site of the receiving station where the receiving station is we built. It. It's on an island called Angar. It's you can see Peleliu from Angar. It, they were critical battle locations during world war ii there's angar has a population of about a hundred and there's a japanese war memorial um there's i mean it's just the history is all over it and is in it including a lot of unexploded ordinances so when i got there um to see this installation how it was being developed everything was at a dead stop The bulldozers and everything are parked. The the construction has ceased because um, the way that they normally do the demining in a place like Palau, in this particular case, is they work with a Norwegian NGO, and the Norwegian NGO does it with a metal detector and a shovel. And the contractors that had come in on the U.S. project had started uh, clear-cutting, bulldozing, and digging down three feet. And the Palauan government said, uh, you don't have environmental clearance for that. You're, You're not allowed to do that. And so they had to stop and are now in the process of trying to get their environmental clearances. And somebody quite high up in U.S. defense came to Palau and reportedly told the president of Palau, well, if you stop our construction then, you know, we're going to have to fire our Palawan workers just before Christmas. And wouldn't that be terrible? And the president said, yeah, I mean, not going to reflect well on you, but, you know, you, you can't, you know, you can't throw at me with this. You didn't do the right thing. You didn't get the clearances. And so now you got to get the clearances. So it stopped. So even this one little case of trying to put in this over-the-horizon radar thing, it, it can break down at the ground level with the wrong contractors, with the inappropriate approach to partners. Um, and this is just phase one. There are three phases. Phase two is uh, apparently has gone to a Turkish company for the construction of the platform and whatnot. And uh, the rumors going around Angar are that and this may or may not be true, are that a large number of Turkish men are going to come to their island of 100 people to do this construction. They haven't been consulted. This may not be the case. It's, it may just be a breakdown in communication. But it's fairly typical of the uh, mismanagement of the relationship on the U.S. side that can lead to a big opening for Chinese political warfare. You know, they can, the people of Angar now are annoyed and scared at at this installation going in and they've, and one of them was telling me that, you know, he, wa- he, he asked when they heard about the installation, are you going to build us bunkers? Because you put in this radar receiving station on Angar, We just jumped way up the Chinese targeting list. And during world war II, we hid in caves, but the caves aren't going to be enough with these new Chinese weapons. So are you going to build us bunkers? And, At the same time, they're not even resolving this confusion over what sort of workers are gonna come and work on the island. So Chinese can come in and say, the Americans disrespect you. They destroyed your islands once before. They're not listening to any of your concerns. Why don't you just not have this radar station? Why don't you just take money from us to build a hospital instead?
0: Why is the Chinese Communist Party so much better at this?
1: Because they care, frankly.
0: Communist Party, we care.
1: They care about advancing the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. It's just they, they have a focus and they uh, and a goal, uh, and in, and in this case, if they can take Palau off the map, it makes Taiwan a lot easier.
3: Well, Palau is very close to Taiwan.
1: Yeah, it's just it's 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 a couple hours. Uh, down from guam and over from
0: philippines yeah i guess that's the issue the chinese communist party has a goal in the pacific and it's very unclear what the united states or australia's goal in the pacific is and there probably isn't one
1: yeah australia's goal i mean in the end there are a lot of different australias but the one that seems to be leading the way australia's goal seems to be to make the u.s think it's important in doing something they've given over their defense and security to the u.s there's a negotiation going on now, about the financial aspect of that relationship, it happens once every 20 years. It happens to be now, and it happens to be at the time of elections in, in these places of extremely bad timing. It's become extremely political. Um, but all three of them send a lot of their young men and women to uh, join the U.S. Armed Forces at a much higher percentage than many U.S. states. But when they come back to their countries, they're, they're they get none of the normal things that you would think they would get. They can't even can't even get their VA medicine mailed to them, even though they have U.S. postal codes. The relationship is so close between Palau, FSM, and Marshall Islands, the so U.S. They have postal U.S. postal codes, so it wouldn't you know necessarily cost the VA anything extra to send them their medicine. And so I was talking to somebody in, in RMI in Marshall Islands about this. He was a recruiter, 20 years in the U.S. Army, and uh, he was saying I had one, one one young man who came back. He had PTSD. It it couldn't be handled in Marshall's. He didn't get his couldn't get his medication, and he took his own life. And as a recruiter, you know, he feels like a former recruiter, you know, that that's such a fundamental betrayal of the relationship between the two countries, that these veterans, if they feel abandoned like that, which they are in many cases, they can either talk about, they're, they're the living embodiment in their villages and their families, the relationship, trust relationship between their countries and the U.S. And uh, they can they can either defend that relationship, or they can damage that relationship. You know, if the U.S. isn't you know, you've got a, somebody who's lost a limb in Iraq, and he has to pay out of pocket to try to get to Guam or Hawaii for medical care, and he may get it reimbursed, or he may not get it reimbursed, and he has to go through all this paperwork. And there's nobody there to help him. I mean, you know, it's it. They used to get their medicine sent to them, apparently, and apparently. A certain amount of this is what the, this this recruiter was saying. He used to get it, and then it stopped, and they don't know they don't know why. And and there are many many other you know. Quadlin Marshall Islands has a miss has the Quadlin base. Normally, somebody in his position could walk onto any base around the world, any, and go to the shop, the PX shop, and buy stuff and take it home. Not in Quadlin. He can't walk into the PX in Quadlin and buy something and take it off to to another island. It's only for those that are on that island. So it's insult after insult and damage after damage. And if you want good news, you know, it's a miracle that these people have decided to stay with in their relationship with the United States for so long. But that's not a guaranteed thing. And there's a lot, a lot of PRC money going in to make sure that that ben doesn't continue.
3: So speaking of PRC money, I want to get back to something you'd brought up earlier, which is the Marshall Islands uh, and this uh, Chinese special economic zone. And there was an attempt to set that up. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So this is a this is a ethnic Chinese couple who became naturalized Marshallese um, who ran an NGO that was affiliated to the United Nations and and. They seem to have relationships with a lot of other countries as well, including in the Pacific. The Kiribati, of Vanuatu have been mentioned in other places. So I'll give you I'll give you the, the Marshall story, but again, it's kind of a case study to keep an eye on for other locations. Um, so Marshall's again, it's a country that rec- that recognizes Taiwan. It was at the site of uh, some very serious battles. It's highly strategic. It has a lot of islands that are spread out or, over a large area. Home to the uh, Kwajalein, and during that period, the U.S. nuked Marshall 67 times, including you know some some very major tests. This is Bikini and all that stuff that ended up uh, irradiating one of the atolls, Rongolap Atoll. atoll. Um, the, the population of Rongolap was eventually, after two or three days, evacuated somewhere else. Um, they came back. There's a lot of back and forth, but this axle uh, was affected by those nuclear tests. This Chinese couple um, said that they were going to set up, a, wanting to set up a special economic zone in Ronglaba, which would, you know, do all sorts of business and those sorts of things, and it would have its own customs and immigration, and basically a country within a country. And they started buying up. Um, very influential people according to uh, the uh, indictment that subsequently we saw subsequently um, and it came within one vote that the, the legislation to set up this special zone came within one vote of passing uh, within, uh, within the parliament and, and becoming real and it seriously disrupted Marshallese politics Um, They eventually were indicted. They could be indicted in New York because the NGO was based in New York. And they plead, They they pled out. Now, the problem with pleading out is we now don't have publicly the names of the Marshallese that operated with them. And they're very influential and they're still in power, some of them. And so they now have a vested interest in not having more... US oversight on their activities. uh, Because if there is more oversight, they might be found out, and uh, that could be very bad for them. So that's how the kind of the Chinese system, even if you go after one part of it, if you don't go back after all of it, if you don't publicize the names and give the people in the countries the tools they need to clean up their own system, you're actually hardening that uh, pro-Chinese fleet and making it even harder for others in the country. And by the way, I've heard that there's a similar uh, project being proposed for Palau.
3: So uh, what would have been the value for the Chinese Communist Party of having this special economic zone in the Marshall Islands, which frankly, it's in the middle of the Pacific, like it's kind of nowhere. It's not even that close to Taiwan and it's not like a U.S. territory like, you know, Guam or Saipan. So like what's what's the point?
1: So, if you remember, uh, Keating uh, Admiral Keating testified in remember two thousand eight two thousand nine about a Chinese um, senior official who came up to him at some point and said, "No, why don't you take Hawaii East and we'll take Hawaii West, and don't worry, you know, we'll tell you what's going on." So, if 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 you believe that one of the strategic maps in the head of Beijing is pushing the US back to Hawaii. A win in Marshalls is huge. You know, you eventually you first of all you you break this compact of free association. You you that you say it's not US territory and it's not US territory. But that compact of free association means that the US treats those waters um, almost as importantly as domestic waters. And in fact, that's what, the, when it was first set up, the president said that, you no, know, we're going to protect you like we would protect ourselves. So you push the U.S. out of those waters and 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 much more back towards Hawaii. And if you can do it in FSM and Palau as well, you've done it. You've pushed the U.S. back to Hawaii. You, you'll still have Guam and Marianas, but if you avoid them and you don't trigger... Uh, a response there, it becomes very difficult for the U.S. to refuel, to to patrol, to have a reason to be in the in the area. It's a it's a very big strategic win.
2: Do you think that that possibility is still out there? Then,
1: yeah. So they have elections coming up in November, and i i, I know, uh, you know, very reliable sources have said that there's just the amount of Chinese money flowing in to try to affect that election are, are enormous. Plus, there are those people who did not get indicted um, on, on the wrong lap thing who are still in the system and who are going to protect themselves and who, at this point, they're kind of, you know, halfway down the road to China and turning back towards the U.S. doesn't seem to offer very much. So they might go in even deeper. And there's even, you know, a, a Chinese... Uh, who's naturalized Marshallese? who's running in the election and is
0: pro Beijing? i mean is that overt yeah i mean like, it's shocking that you know there's this idea of like china gets control of everything on the one side of hawaii i mean like even though like other than guam saipan you do it doesn't have territory there i mean like that's that's seeding asia to the chinese communist party like what about japan what about south korea the philippines taiwan obviously we know how that goes but yeah that's that that idea is just a horrifying world dominated by the communist party
1: yeah that's the goal that's their goal goal. and 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 again for the good news you know there are leaders in the region who really don't want that so that's why you're seeing philippines say uh, you know, maybe you do want to come back in the United States. You know, who would have thought that a couple of years ago? But they see what's going on and they see how fast it's happening. And the Sui thing, thing, yeah, it really sent a chill through the region. They had been gunning for him since October 2019 and they got him. And the U.S., Australia, New Zealand didn't say anything, nothing. And there's no major news reporting about what the implications are at all started trying to you know paint him as a pro-independence guy so basically saying he's, he's a troublemaker and so you know we can get rid of him. It's not it, it, they, they did it. they did it. You, you, you guys I mean you're the only ones that have taught to Su you know in, in the US as far as I know. So there was no, there have been no support along the way. And there's no support now. And those who are fighting the Marshallese election based on all of those principles that we talked about and not taking Chinese money see that and they're scared. And more important, the people who are vacillating are trying to think about what you know, what's in it for me. If I if I back the you know pro-democracy guy what am i i get nothing for my family I, I might get fired you know i might not be able to pay my school fees whatever if i go with the chinese you know at least i know i'll be able to you know pay the rent this month.
3: right unless the u.s steps in and freezes the the bank accounts of people you know who are laundering money etc and then it
0: totally changes the calculus right yeah
1: that yeah. yes yes please
0: yeah well, so so far we've kind of talked about you know the chinese kind what china is doing what the u.s and australia are not doing but you know the the pacific island nations are not just you know secondary characters in their own stories they have their own agency what what are things that they should be doing
1: i'm glad you asked because um this kind of, kind of uh a bit infuriating you know that a lot of the talk about how to engage with Pacific Island in a place like DC says, Oh, we need to work with the Pacific Island forum, which is this regional grouping. The regional grouping, uh, has a, it, there are several regional groupings. There's one called the SPC, which does very good work, very good technical work. Pacific Island Forum specifically is supposed to be about kind of political and economic policymaking in the region. Um, I can tell you what they haven't done. They haven't objected to US Coast Guard cutters being blocked from the ports of two of their members uh, when they were on operations that were supposed to benefit the region as a whole. They also haven't said, you know, those Pacific games that you want to run, Sogavari, and that you said are so important that you're not going to have your election. We think the election is more important, so we're not going to go to your Pacific game. Yeah, there are all these things that they could be doing to um, back up each other and the things that they say they stand for. Democracy, transparency, accountability, human rights, sustainable development, all of those things. So uh, the Pacific Island Forum, which has an enormous amount of Australian and uh, New Zealand influence in it, uh, is not making even the most basic stance uh, that, that you think would be no brainers. And what's kind of more interesting is they it fragmented uh, a couple of years ago when the countries, the North Pacific. And again, this is these are the three freely associated states, Palau, Micronesia, Ferris, uh Republic of Marshall Islands, as well as Nauru and Kiribati left because they felt like they weren't being properly represented in the choice of secretary general. And they had put forward a secretary general, somebody from Marshall Islands, country that recognizes Taiwan. And it's possible one of the factors that made it that Australia and New Zealand, along with a few others, voted against that secretary general was because he was from a country that recognized Taiwan and the Chinese wouldn't like it. Well, they agreed to come back in, but one of the conditions is essentially, they get to pick the next secretary general. And they've just said that their candidate for secretary general is going to come from Nauru, which is another country that recognizes Taiwan. So the Pacific Island Forum now is going to have to show whether it puts Pacific cohesion over not annoying China. It's going to be a very interesting election, that election.
2: When is that election?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. But they're kind of discussing it and negotiating. There's a, there are meetings going on, uh, uh, but the announcement was made very uh, recently that is going to be putting forth uh, the Secretary-General candidate. And Nauru, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Nauru held a regional meeting at one point and the Chinese so-called diplomat tried to uh, get his way and well, he was basically shut down by the Nauru uh, leaders Uh, they're 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 good this is it this is the good news is there are all these people out there who are really good they just need a little bit of help to to make sure that the playing field is field is level and they can just get on with running their country without this, this juggernaut of chinese uh money and uh intel distorting their society's political
0: systems Well, thank you very much for joining us again and telling us about what's happening hopefully uh you know the next time we have you on you'll you'll break your streak and things will have gotten better in the pacific
1: yeah we can or or we can talk about another place where the chinese have uh you know of around the pacific will be fine and then we can get back to talking about what they're doing to canada
0: i like the sound of that cleo always a pleasure
1: Oh it's, yes. I, I'm I'm I, I didn't respond immediately because I'm overwhelmed with uh, with getting to hang out with you again. I really am. It's you guys are you are the ones that interviewed Sweet Danny. You're the ones that have been following this story for so long. And uh, I'm in, I'm incredibly grateful. You know, it, it if 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 we're going to even fight, let alone win, um, this is this is the way to do it and uh you guys have been leading the way for a long time at great cost and so thank you very much
0: well thank you for making the introduction to suedani if he is coming to the united states we should try to get him on again let us know in the comments if you'd like to see more of that you better say yes
1: (laughs) and and speaking of uh comments um you would just be three people in rural Quebec twiddling your thumbs without all the watchers. So if you've made it all the way to the end, especially, thank you very much, Hey.
0: Yes, yes. Thank you. We love you. The Chinese Communist Party hates you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that got you, Shelley.
2: It did. I wasn't expecting that.
0: <laughs> Even after all these years, I can still surprise you. Okay, I guess that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Cleo. Well, that was a crushing, depressing <laughs> nightmare.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, there'll be some good news at the end, right?
3: Yeah, what? I feel like we were promised good news and then did not get good yeah, news. Yeah, the good news
0: was like, hey, there are some good people in the world.
3: Tuh, tuh, tuh.
0: <laughs> it's, it's
2: kind of unspecific good news. Yeah, like a general, yeah. In general, there are good people left. And like, still supposedly, fighting.
0: I'm part of that. I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be a member of any club that would have me as a member or whatever that was. Um, But, yeah, I think the sad thing is just like how little anyone is paying attention.
2: Oh, yeah, total head in the sand.
0: No media coverage. Well, I can explain that.
3: So uh, I was looking at uh, whether it would be possible for us to actually go to the Solomon Islands. I've never found a place on this planet that has an, an inhabited city that is harder to get to than the the major cities of Solomon Islands. Like, it's so hard to get to. It's more than two days of continuous travel. Hard to get
2: to from the U.S., less hard to get to from Australia.
3: Yeah, like if you're in Brisbane or even Sydney, like you can fly. You can go fly from Brisbane to the Solomon Islands. So I, I really can't excuse that. I meant from like, if you work for the New York Times, you have to fly... New York oh. to LA. They're not going to gonna send to someone Brisbane, from the New York Times. Someone, right. They should
2: send someone from like, you know, their Asia people.
3: Yeah, and and they could, but they don't. I, I was trying to give them like a like a, you know, I understand why you're not dedicating a lot of resources, but you're right. That's stupid. Uh, no, you don't have that
0: excuse.
2: Well, I do think that it seems remote for people, right? Like Well, yeah, yes. that is
0: the other problem with, you know, it's it's this the American people who don't really like South Pacific. What? That was a musical, right? Right. It and, was a and, musical. And also like
3: these island nations, like the Solomon Islands has less than a million people.
0: Palau right?
2: has what, 20,000?
3: So. Yeah. And so like, you know, you, you talked about um, Hong Kong, right? And how Hong Kong, it took five years for the CCP to like turn the just turn the police around. But Hong Kong is like 7 million people. Right, these Pacific island nations, like combine are all smaller than the population well, and Hong, of Hong Kong, Kong. Was,
0: is like deeply enmeshed in the Western business world, too,
3: yeah, but I'm just saying like it's so it's so easy to get these like population wise really small countries geography wise spread out, but really, really important I mean, I didn't know how
2: to pronounce Kiribati like four years ago, like before we started really covering you the didn't? Pacific
0: I know. Were you saying Kiribati or something? I know. Shelly, like come on.
2: Yeah. Well, just, you know, all these like, like, Nauru Vanuatu, like, there's just so many of these tiny countries that are just kind of ripe for the CCP to come in. Because
3: we, we don't know what they are.
2: Well, also, it's infuriating that a lot of it is due to our own incompetence, right? Like, yeah. her story is about, like, U.S., Like military vets in these islands not being able to get their medicine shipped to them. Committing
0: suicide because they can't get PTSD treatment.
2: Yeah, that's... For fighting
0: in U.S. wars.
2: It's, like, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's inexcusable. So... Yeah, definitely. You can see how, I mean, now I think the U.S. government is kind of trying to do like a late kind of 180 well it's like we were
0: saying earlier it's like this weird like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing or it's not even that it's that the left hand hates the right hand (laughs) is trying to do everything it can to stop it wait
2: hold on which what is the left hand and the right hand in your analogy
0: the left hand is always the side of evil the uh, the accusers the bad the right hand
2: it's the sinister side yes oh no but i I actually meant like are you talking about like the left hand is the state department and the right hand is DOD no, just, or just like... No, just like, the,
0: the, the forces that are like, hey, we should, we should you know, show support for Taiwan. Uh-huh. No, we should make sure they don't get to speak at the uh, summit for democracy because that would be bad. We don't want John Kerry to be in the same place as the president of Taiwan.
2: Yeah, that would be awkward. Yeah. yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. It like would be Kerry, Why is Kerry... Imp- I never understood. Why is John Kerry important? Why does anyone care about him anymore?
3: I mean... Why does anyone care about him? Sorry. Look, wrong, if you wrong lose a presidential
2: today. election, then it means you just keep failing upwards. By that's that logic,
0: true. i failed.
3: Well, but no, but think about that's right. Like all the people who who lost the presidential election, like Buttigieg, uh, Harris. Oh, they bowed out though. Yeah, because they were going to lose. Uh,
2: but also because. I mean, anyway, so, but like John Kerry lost the 20, 2004 election to George Bush, right? But then he became Secretary of State under Obama. Now he's the special, like, climate czar person. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's,
3: it is, it is And, they, I mean,
2: we've talked about this before on the show that, like, there are people within the Biden administration who are mad at Kerry for interfering in their China policy because there were a bunch of leaks about it you know a couple of years ago
3: there's another left hand right hand situation (laughs) yeah
2: but it's almost good that that happens so we can at least know about it like if they're anonymously leaking to the Washington Post at least that's almost a form of accountability do you know what I mean well I mean better if it
0: wasn't anonymous just saying
2: well yes
0: well I mean that is supposed to be the role of the media to check institutions of power I mean, we just did that episode on American Covered about how, like, the major focus of journalism now is that objectivity is bad, which doesn't give me great hope for talking let's talk about, about Palau. Let's
2: talk about the Pacific Islands. That seems more
0: cheerful than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's all part of the same thing. It's like, you know, what, what are they doing? What are who doing? Anyone. Okay. <laughs> is anyone doing a thing? Uh, we're having a podcast. That's right. And you are listening, so together...
2: I mean, I find it both inspiring and terrifying that Cleo thinks that we're on the front line of covering this issue because...
0: I know. know.
2: Because we're just three people in a room on YouTube. A
0: couple of knuckleheads.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, still more press than Daniel Sudani has gotten from anybody else.
0: It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Well. Well.
3: Well, at least good for us. And good for you.
0: Like morally good, not like it benefited you good. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Is this how it ends?
3: This is this is where we start to go really off the rails.
0: Oh no, I think that already happened. No, we were pretty on, on the ball.
3: Hey Shelly, have you ever seen
0: Babylon five? No Oh man. So <laughs> <laughs> i'll spare you uh, i'll spare you this thing leave really it for
2: space on what was the unvacuumed no it was unexplored. Uh, no no it was uh
0: unfrontiered
2: unfrontiered yeah. i was gonna say it was a star trek reference yeah. oh yeah
0: this yeah. is the part of the podcast where we like try to remember stuff and we can't <laughs> yeah so anyone who's still watching you are team MVP. Thank you for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Gnaizda. Talk to you next time.